Welcome to the Saturday Night Live After Party. This week we'll be discussing Season 44, Episode 20 of SNL with host Emma Thompson and musical guest Jonas Brothers. I'm John Murray and I'm joined this week by improv and sketch impresario Dave Buckman. Dave has studied, directed, performed, and taught in many of the nation's premier sketch comedy haunts, including Chicago's Second City, I.O. and Annoyance Theatres, and is currently running Austin's Cold Town Theatre, Sketch Fest, and Out of Bounds Comedy Festival. You can connect with Dave on Twitter, at Dave Buckman. If you'd like to connect with me, you can do so at snlpodcast.com. If you're enjoying our show, please consider supporting us on Patreon. Our patrons get early, ad-free access to each new podcast episode, as well as many other exclusive member rewards. It's your support that makes the cast possible, and we are so thankful to everyone who's already pitched in. To learn more, go to patreon.com forward slash SNL podcast. All right, enjoy. Well, welcome back, Dave Buckman. It is good to have you on board for today's show. Thank you so much. Yeah. We got you sounding good. We got some uh, pimp gear in front of you, so I, th- I think we've covered all our bases. It's going to be a good talk. Um, but just to let the audience know, a couple program notes here. First off, we have a hard out in one hour, so we're going to be moving kind of quick. We're going to probably gloss over a few sketches and just try and dig into you know what's actually worth talking about about last night's show. Um, so bear with us, and also, because I'm kind of in limbo here, I'm uh, recording in a uh, office at my sister's house, kind of with my little mobile rig. So I haven't had a whole lot of time to prep myself. So this is going to be a little bit more of a loose freeform discussion. We're probably going to bounce around a little bit. It's not going to be so structured. So just uh, come along for the ride and uh, temper your expectations. (laughs) (laughs) Before we jump in a couple other program notes, I just want to let everyone know kind of what to expect over the next couple casts, because like I mentioned, uh, I am traveling. Uh, I was in New York last week for the Emma Thompson show. Uh, So I'm going to have some fun insights gleaned from the dress rehearsal that I was able to attend the other day. Um, And for next week, I'm going to be going back. And not only am I going to be hitting up the standby line again and hopefully getting into dress rehearsal if all goes well, but friend of the show and sibling of Heidi Gardner, Justin Gardner, uh, he was kind enough to reach out to his sister and get me cleared to actually be able to go in and get a bit of a a backstage experience for the live show. Uh, So I'm going to be watching the live show from Heidi's dressing room, actually with Justin. And then afterwards, we're going to take a bit of a tour of the 17th floor, get the lay of the land, go through the studio, you know, just get the, the full experience. And then if that wasn't a cool enough evening in and of itself, I'm going to the after party. Yeah. (laughs) So, uh, it's really hard to, uh, discuss this without it sounding like I'm gloating, but understand that this is just pure excitement. It's certainly not, (laughs) certainly not anything more than that. I'm just really stoked and I'm really, really happy that Justin was, uh, able to work that out. And, uh, I couldn't be more excited to hang out with him and also to meet Heidi and maybe pick her brain about a couple things. Um, she's had a, a stunning couple seasons on the show. This is probably her last show as a featured player. And, uh, I just, uh, can't wait to offer her all the praise that we've been offering through the podcast to be able to provide some of that in person and, uh, hopefully glean a little bit of insight on how she's enjoying her time at the show. So that's what I got cooking for next week. That's awesome. But I'm not the only one on the show today. We've also got Dave Buckman, who's been up to some fun himself. Yeah. Have you been to a uh, after party 
before. I've never been to an after party. Have you, have you had the opportunity? I've been to two and they're a lot okay. of fun. The trick is getting into the after after party. That's sure. Hard. Yes. Uh, yeah. <laughs> I don't know uh, how much cred and how cool uh, I'm going to. Uh, yeah. I just don't know really how that's all going to play out. I'm just along for the ride. Really. They're a lot of fun. Uh, yeah, going to be a, an interesting night and a lot of firsts for me. And uh, I can't wait to share some of the experience uh, with our listeners in the coming weeks. Um, oh. But why don't you tell us a little bit about what you've been up to? Because you were off sure. in Amsterdam doing something kind of cool. Yeah, I uh, was with um, Boom Chicago for the last two months, helping them to put up their new re- uh, review called The Future is Here and It is Slightly Annoying, <laughs> uh, which is all about AI technology, uh, but delivered through the guise of sketch comedy and short form improv games. Okay. Yeah. So it was a f- lot of fun being out there, kind of leading the writing of the sketches and developing of the improv games and writing the songs and then rehearsing them every day until we had a new show. Are you happy with how it all came out? Yeah, very happy. It's a really strong show. Uh, it's very funny and the cast is so amazingly talented. I can't imagine one of them won't be on SNL one day. Mm-hmm. Well, uh, yeah, if anyone does transition over to the show, we'll of course want to uh, pick your brain about how obvious it was, you know, what they were demonstrating when, when they were working <laughs> under you, but you have a few other things that are coming up. So why don't we quickly run through sure. the events that, that are going to be coming up throughout the summer so that if anyone's interested, uh, they can reach out and probably get tickets now or in the near future when, you know, it's most advantageous. So what's yeah. coming up first? Uh, first is Austin Sketchfest that kicks off the week before Memorial day. And we go all week. Uh, our headliners are Ego Noadam. Mm-hmm. Uh, and Maggie May, as well as a bunch of UCB acts. And then um, we're going to open Bigfoot the Musical, which is written by Amber Ruffin of Late okay. Night with Seth Meyers. And we'll run that for six Saturdays after the Sketch Festival uh, until the end of June when Amber's coming to do a one woman show and be there for closing night. So that's uh, June 28th. Excellent. Okay. So a lot yeah. of good crossover in your lineup this year. Exactly. Um, yeah, I would be excited to see what Ego brings. She was, she's a known quantity to anyone who listens to Comedy Bang Bang, but to a lot of SNL viewers, they still don't really have a good beat on exactly where her skills lie. So they should come out and actually see her in her element. I can't wait to see what an hour of her is like with her own voice and her own sketches. Because, mm-hmm. I mean, she's super, obviously super talented. I don't know. I don't know that SNL's kind of tapped into that yet. Yeah. And uh, I can't wait to see it in a live setting with a live audience. I think it's going to be an amazing time. Plus, Amber Ruffin's show, whatever her show is going to be, too, is going to be amazing. So, uh, and Amber's an old uh, Boom Chicago alumni. That's how I know her. Excellent. Yeah. Well, that's going to be a lot of fun. Why don't you tell people where they can find tickets if they're so inclined? ATXSketchFest.com is where you can get tickets for the Sketch Festival or ColdTownTheater.com. C O L D T O W N E Theater.com. Yeah, the hipster spelling. Yeah, exactly. Yeah. <laughs> exactly. <laughs> Excellent. And then you've got another festival after that, um, but it might mm-hmm. be a little too early to talk details on that. Did you want to point people at least towards the website so they can see how it's shaping up? Absolutely. Out of bounds comedy.com. It's an improv sketch and stand up festival uh, uh, the week leading up to Labor Day in Austin, right. Texas. Uh, we're still working out who our headliners are right now, but we've got uh, 450 submissions from around the country of uh, improv troops, stand ups, and sketch troops, and one person shows that want to be in the festival. So we're kind of sorting through that right now, figuring out what this festival looks like and who's in it and who should be the uh, faces of the festival. Excellent. You've got a glut of riches to sort through. So yeah, whatever it shapes up to be, I'm sure it's going to be awesome. 
Let's take a look at the show for our cold open on NBC's Meet the Press. Chuck Todd discusses Trump hypotheticals with Senator Mitch McConnell, Senator Susan Collins, and Senator Lindsey Graham. How did you think this kicked off the night? I did not think it kicked off the night. I think it did. I didn't like it so much. Okay. Uh, yeah. Uh, it was for me um, a little lazy, I think, in the satire. Sure. Cecily's game obviously was the more consistent and actual factual based. Okay. I don't think that anybody who watches Meet the Press recognized that Meet the Press. They rarely would have three Republicans on, let okay. alone three Republican senators, right? So a little contrived. Yeah little contrived of how the show works. You know what I mean? Yeah. So uh, I think there could have been a better format uh, than Meet the Press because obviously Kyle doesn't know who Chuck Todd is or how Meet <laughs> the Press goes. Okay. His, his Chuck Todd impression basically involves banging the table. Yeah. Uh, that's about it. That's all he knows. Uh, and it's not, uh, it's just not Meet the Press. Okay. You know what I mean? No, that's fair. Yeah, that's fair. All right. So not high marks. Uh, I'm kind of with you. I usually am flying blind with the U.S. political cold opens because I don't follow it that closely. And in this case, you know, I don't really tune in to meet the press or anything. So I just have to take it purely on comedy terms as someone who's a little bit more removed from the subject matter. And uh, I agree with you. It was kind of sparse. There wasn't a whole lot of really excellent moments. There there were a couple. Um, Kate, to her credit, she managed to land a couple lines that were amusing, but certainly not enough to hold the five or six minutes that that this went on. So like so much of SNL's political cold opens, I, I felt like this uh, kind of labored and really wasn't what I wanted to see up front on the Mother's Day show. Yeah, Cecily's game was strong, but it was the only strong thing in the sketch. So rather than being the zingers that it should have been, it had to become the meat of the sketch. Right. Uh, it was relying too much on a. Uh, on the support. Yeah. Yeah. Her shrinking violet yeah. character played in well to the idea that these guys are just going to pander at all costs to Trump and they have no backbone. So like there, there was something there. Well, specifically that Senator does that yeah. consistently. So it's a consistent character thing, but the Mitch McConnell thing, it wasn't anything. I don't understand what the lettuce snack was about. Well, or, it's because he looks like a turtle. Oh uh, yeah. <laughs> so yeah, there's some clunky material that here. Can't yeah. be the political satire to open the show. He looks like a turtle. Right. Um, okay. So I think we're in agreement. This, this was not spectacular. So let's not dwell on it. Let's take a look at our monologue and see if there's anything here. Emma Thompson wants to explain the difference between what moms say and what they mean. She has a little bit of support from fellow moms, Tina Fey and Amy Poehler. What'd you make of this? This was an A. This okay. is this is a this is an A monologue. Emma Thompson has solid sketch <laughs> chops, solid timing chops. Yeah. It's a very sweet out. Uh, you know, it's easy to follow game. Everybody, I mean, they hit that weaving mm -hmm. back and forth so good that please don't ruin Joe Biden for me. He's what I picture <laughs> line from Amy was fantastic. And all the, you know, I love when Tina does her Philly accent. Yeah. So, so accurate. Yeah. And Amy keeps pace with her Boston accent. So yeah, a lot yeah. of fun there. Um, I enjoyed this thoroughly too. A little bit of insight from dress. They cut out a whole section at the beginning of this monologue where it was Kyle Mooney clumsily trying to recreate the ending scene from love actually by replacing Emma Thompson's cue cards. Uh huh. It was an idea <laughs> that had merit. Like that was kind of a funny thing to, to sort of have, uh, I don't know. Yeah. Kyle trying to mess things up and, and trying to live out a, a fantasy there live on TV, but it didn't play very well. It was kind of complicated for people to get up to speed on what was going on. So it was a good cut, but just so you know, there was a, a substantial other chunk wow. of this that never made it to air. 
I think they made the right choice. Yeah. But to their credit, they also did a little bit of rewriting on the back and forth, you know, mother means thing and had wow. a much sweeter out where they all basically give a shout out to their kids and tell them they love them on air. That was a last minute rewrite. There was something just a little bit more mundane to exit it previously, which was perfectly fine. It just wasn't quite as heartwarming. So they punched it up in all the right areas. They trimmed the fat and for all the reasons that you said, especially about Emma Thompson's ability to just come out and be sharp with her timing and really in the moment there, it was all working great for me. She was great. Yeah, I really enjoyed this. And obviously Mother's Day appropriate. So I think we're off to a pretty good start here. You want to take a look at our first live sketch? Sure. Excellent. Leslie Jones endures a crash course in Royal High Tea from a sadistic etiquette coach. This is a lot of fun. Mm. I really enjoy this sketch. And, you know, it, the premise is pretty thin. Yeah. And <laughs> the setups start getting thinner and thinner. Uh, but, I mean, have you ever seen anyone put Leslie back on her heels <laughs> and steal the status yeah. from her in a scene? Yeah, you see her get all submissive there about halfway through. Like, she's as bombastic oh as she is. She's no match for, you know, a, a, a ball-breaking British etiquette coach. <laughs> yeah, when she smacks the cup out of her hand for the first time. I mean, yep. wow. I mean, Leslie going from happy to shocked was just yeah. splendid. <laughs> yes. Uh, I thought this was a lot of fun. What really got me, and something that I wish maybe they had have punched up a bit and maybe uh, dialed in on, was it sort of had some shades of Mary Poppins. Like, uh, right. there's there's a, a quaint little song to accompany all of the little etiquette moments. Um, and I feel like if they had have played that up more, maybe they could have gone even further into this little world. But for what we got, which was essentially <laughs> a whole lot of like slapstick and and physical stuff. Um, I couldn't help but be won over just by how over the top they went with that. So a lot of fun that yeah. way. Leslie really sells the attacks. I mean, that's mostly yeah. on her. I'm just like, that's wrestling. It's pure yes. professional <laughs> wrestling of like feeling the afterwave shocks and yeah. all that stuff. And uh, the only, my only critique, which is why I think it's a B rather than an A scene was, well, I didn't understand where all this was coming from. Like, where's the justification to be so cruel? You know what I mean? It wasn't really given right. context. Or I, it felt like it was maybe something that maybe got cut that, would have explained it more i don't know yeah if they just prefaced up top that um this lady's effective because she will do anything to get results or something like that like if they'd managed to maybe drive that point home and then you see what that genuinely means <laughs> in if the moment they were scared of her at all too you know yeah, I mean? if yeah. They were like, like maybe when they come in and she's like everything's fine maybe there's a little bit more hesitation or trepidation on their part like they kind of yeah. know that they just need to <laughs> steer clear of this but, i mean Emma Thompson breaking a chair over Leslie Jones is very funny, no matter how we get there. Yeah. So uh, I count this as a win. You're right that maybe narrative wise, it was a little bit clunky, but still a lot of fun. And uh, Leslie was totally game. This was something that she yep. wanted to participate in, and she's always happy to go as far with it as possible. Uh, yeah. So high marks there. And uh, I'm having fun. This is goofy. This is accessible. Uh, this had me grinning, if nothing else. Yeah, it's amazing to see how far Leslie's come from her first couple shows of having never done sketch before right. to where how her timing has changed and how her sense of where the camera is changed mm -hmm. and her timing is it's, it's all I mean, I did not see it at first, but now she's delivering pretty much every time she goes out there, which is great. Yep. I've noticed a, a marked improvement from Pete Davidson too in his sketch work. So I just wonder right. how much coaching or just how uh, just being at the show that long, it's just really starting to. Uh, bear fruit it's a shame that they're so far into their run yeah but yeah they're they're certainly feeling a lot more seasoned at this point um let's keep going we get a pre-tape the perfect mother a mom has a completely honest discussion about the challenges of motherhood with her mother 
This is A plus. This yeah. is an A plus sketch. Uh, the flat. I mean, just like the one with the childbirth from Amy Schumer, and mm-hmm. the uh, uh, they've done a couple of these. Uh, but this one was really well acted and beautifully <laughs> shot. Yes, I love that they reversed it for the daughter as well. So it wasn't just a one sided joke. It yeah. was a, it was all mother joke, uh, and it really they really did a great job with the writing, with the shooting, with the acting. It was, I think, everything about it was relatable and funny and accurate. This is the third incarnation of this. We also had a Christmas version of it. Yeah. All of these have been written by Streeter Seidel, and I just have to applaud just how focused and, and how true all the material plays. Uh, as a father myself, absolutely everything that they show in this pre-tape is so true. It's not even exaggeration. They don't have to ramp it up beyond what genuinely happens uh, to parents of young kids and and uh, just the honesty on display and how um, sentimental they can present all this chaos. It makes me happy. All three of these have made me very happy and, and I just applaud his ability to focus in on that kind of subject matter. Yeah, really, really good. Very, very happy with this. Yeah, I yep. really liked it too. And uh, high marks to Heidi and I'm not just saying that because obviously, you know, <laughs> I'm very happy with Heidi in general right now and the whole Gardner family, but she had a pretty good showing tonight. And this is some yeah. of the the better acting that she was able to provide uh, on a night where she got a lot of juicy material. So uh, high marks to everyone involved and Emma Thompson too. She can play the, the sentimental supportive mom to a T. So all good, all good across the board. Yeah. Emma Thompson does a really good job with her accents tonight. Mm-hmm. It's not like James McAvoy, who I felt like was like kind of showing off a little bit uh-huh. with all how many accents he can do. But Emma Thompson really delivers and uh, has such a range on her accents. Mm-hmm. Many different British, many different American accents. Yeah. And many different like types of people, too. So, I mean, it's really, really outstanding. Yeah. When she's that confident with her accents, she can have a lot more subtlety in her performance because it isn't like she's just barely getting the words out in a hacky kind of accent, she can actually perform in that mode. And you see that a few times tonight. She's incredibly at ease in a lot of these roles. And uh, I was surprised how uh, immediately impressed I was with what she was bringing to the show. Yeah. Okay. But we're on the clock here. So why don't we uh, keep driving forward here? After that, we get a live sketch. Cinema Classics looks at the 1953 film, Always Be Sisters. Uh, This was a very good, simple premise. Mm Mm-hmm. But uh, it looks like it was more fun to write and memorize <laughs> yes. than it was uh, as much as, as good of an execution with your, or even a good payoff. So Yeah, no, I think that's fair. I love the Reese to what uh, run at the end yep. where he's talking to his off-screen producer. I love Reese to what. And uh, I don't think this was a, a good sketch. <laughs> fair enough. Uh, I feel very similarly. I feel like the game was clever, but yes. they just lingered a long time in that scene. And once you realize what the girls are doing, trying to one up each other, uh, there isn't a whole lot of places for it to go. They tried, you know, coming and going and trying to, uh, abruptly end the scene by like calling cut or whatever. Like there's a, there's a few beats in there that are trying to keep a bit of energy in that. But I felt like for me, it had petered out long before the scene ended. Yeah. And so that was what made it challenging to me amusing, but I didn't think it, it held the length of the the sketch. How to do and dress? Uh, honestly, like it didn't get big laughs. Yeah. Um, people 
enjoyed the the Reese DeWitt stuff. Keenan actually delivered it better and dressed than he did in live. Like it was still very competent in live, but he just there there was a bit more that I felt landed in the dress version. Yeah. But the the girls' performance I think was even a little clunkier. Um, th- they were able to trim it down a bit, but I feel like this need to either be trimmed down a lot more or maybe be sacrificed for some of the other cut for time stuff that I feel like at least for my money played a lot better than this. I, if, if I could put on my producer's cap, there's a couple other sketches that I would have opted for in place of this one personally. Got it. But Hey, they can't all be winners. We're still having fun. Let's take a look at our next pre-tape absurdity ensues on reality contest show chopped when two amateur chefs vie for the title of top chef. I love this. Yeah. I love this. I think unlike meet the press, this is exactly what chop looks and sounds like mm-hmm. and feels like uh, there wasn't a false note as far as parody goes, Mm -hmm. uh, the impressions were good. And I love that they got to like an airplane level, naked gun level (laughs) of gags and puns. And it, I think this was an A plus. This was, this was a great effort and a great pre-tape and really well shot and really, really funny and really solid jokes. Yeah. This is a spiritual twin to the house hunters sketch from the Liev Schreiber episode, which also relies on absurdity to take a reality show and actually, get it into another gear but the pacing the pacing was yeah well that's the nice thing about the pre-tape format is that you get that reality tv energy that they can get through tight editing and you really need that for something like this you could never do this live and and have the same uh feeling that you accomplish when you're able to ape the look and the the editing so carefully uh i thought this was really good too i I I was won over pretty early once I realized that oh, okay I get it this is exactly the the same sort of formula as the house hunters thing, uh, but when Leslie turns around and takes a shot at Melissa from across yes. the kitchen yeah that's great that's when I'm like okay yeah that's that's good you know they're they're gonna go really big with some of these gags and I was having a lot of fun the baby goat the uh, the back and forth about uh, the divorce and how he's got custody of the kids how deadpan Alex Moffat delivered all of that I thought was a lot of fun. Um, yeah, I had a lot of fun with this. This was great. Uh, I don't know if it quite lived up to House Hunters, if we're going to compare them side by side, but I don't think you have to because this stands on its own. It's a different show. Uh, and as much as the absurdity is similar, uh, there's enough here that's unique that I think it, it stands on its own. And I'm definitely calling this one a win. Yeah, for sure. Yep. A lot of fun. Uh, moving on. We get a live sketch Judge Court, <laughs> which is just Judge Judy, but way more inane because you have three lady judges and all of them uh, are shooting from the hip. They're making emotional yeah. decisions. They're not really listening to the <laughs> plaintiffs and uh, yeah, it's ridiculous that anyone would subject themselves to such an incompetent court. And yet here we are. So um, what'd you make of this one? I loved it. I yeah. thought it was great. I love mm-hmm. the bit. I love the conceit of the Marx brothers playfulness <laughs> of the courtroom procedures. Sure. I love Heidi's defendant character. Yep. And, uh, when I when I was choking on a hard candy, this woman sucked it up through my ass. <laughs> Everything about this was so much fun. I loved Heidi's. Yeah. The choker was fantastic, too. Yeah, uh, I enjoyed Chris Red's very uh, fleeting moment there with the dog. The dog was hungry. Like He's not even going to attempt to make an excuse for the situation. Um, I wouldn't say this is brilliant material, but because everyone delivered it so well, I feel like it held up and and it was fun all the way to the end. So, uh, yeah, this was more good, goofy, accessible stuff. The first half has been, I think, very consciously a crowd pleaser type of lineup that they they went with for their material. But hey, I'm having a lot of fun. Want to talk about the Jonas Brothers? Sure. Okay. For their first song, they perform Sucker. And for their second song, a medley of Cool and the classic Burning Up. 
I believe. <laughs> From what people have explained to me, that was one of their earlier hits that they decided to uh, dust off for some fan service. Um, what do you think of these two performances? Uh, well, I'm not familiar with the Jonas Brothers, even though they are from Texas. <laughs> okay. Uh, let's see. Uh, the first one, I will say, was catchy uh, as all get out. I love the sure. The first song. Second one's not so much. I didn't even know that. The, I, I, when they tell me, oh my God, this is a Jonas Brothers classic. I'm like, how is that even possible that they would have a classic song? Because, I mean, I'm just so much older <laughs> than that uh, fan block. But uh, yeah, I didn't like the second one. I like the first okay. one. I'll leave it at that. <laughs> Um, I'm going to base my review squarely on how it was received in the house. Oh, and I got to say Jonas brothers fans are incredibly cool and, um, not like obnoxious, uh, SNL has booked a lot of boy bands where they kind of take over the studio and sort of ruin the energy of the night because they're only there for the musical act. And, uh, you know, everything else is just an annoyance for them in, <laughs> in between musical acts. Um, you weren't getting that with the the Jonas Brothers crowd. They were good standby line participants as well. So uh, high marks for their classiness. Um, but in the house, they were really, really enthusiastic about both numbers, but they went absolutely nuts when they dropped into burning up. Apparently that is just a, a big deal. If you're a true Jonas Brothers fan from the beginning, this had half the audience crying. Wow. I'm not quite sure why a song like burning up would evoke that kind of reaction, but Hey, uh, I guess these are people now in their mid twenties, early thirties who were in their early or late teens when Jonas brothers were previously huge. So this was a nice moment. They weren't expecting a nostalgic throwback. And when they got it, it really landed. So I'll give Jonas brothers high marks for understanding their audience and uh, yeah, just playing to the crowd and, and uh, delivering the goods. Everyone seemed very, very happy with what they were bringing. And so uh, I'll give them high marks. I thought they were some catchy songs. I enjoyed it. Um, yeah. Those are talented guys. I'd never once listened to them previously, but I got to say as a pop act, they seem like they know what they're doing. Hey gang. Did you know that our show is made possible solely by the support of listeners like you? It's true. And in order to keep our cast going for next season, we need to reach our funding goal of 100 Patreon supporters. We've still got a ways to go, so if you want to offer your support, now's the time to head over to patreon.com. That's P-A-T-R-E-O-N.com forward slash SNL podcast. If you do, you'll get exclusive patron-only rewards, including our members-only podcast feed that provides early access to extended cuts of each new episode that contain upwards of 20 minutes of additional discussion. If you're enjoying our show and you want us to stick around for season 45, then please head over to patreon.com forward slash SNL podcast and come on board. Before we jump back into the cast, I want to thank everyone who's currently supporting us as well as everyone who's previously pitched in when possible over the years to all of our patrons past and present. Thank you so much for your support. And now back to the show. Weekend update for their lead in Jost and Che tackle Trump's past financial failures. Yeah. What'd you make of the opening salvo? Uh, it was okay. It was good. It wasn't great. Mm-hmm. Yeah. I'll just leave it at that. It was, okay. it, it did, I mean, we can update the jokes. I think I only got like two jokes that I really liked uh, out of uh, the whole run, but uh, kind of lukewarm for me. Okay. I think I was warmer on it than you. Um, maybe not the political stuff up front. I don't think that was the strongest, but as they have a few other runs of the more grab bag material you know just the headlines not necessarily the political right. stuff when they got into that stuff uh, i felt like there was a lot of good moments um so i i thought this was pretty strong from them not tops for the season but i felt like it was consistently good i'll give props to the georgia trying to make uh mother's day a mandatory holiday that's that's a great line and 
Mitch McConnell looking like he's watching a man drown slowly. Yes. <laughs> uh, that was fantastic. I just felt like it might be a little too long of a update for the amount of real estate it took up for the show. Fair enough. And actually considering how many sketches got cut that had some really solid material in them. Yeah. I probably could agree with you that as much as I was having fun with weekend update, I would have much rather one other sketch squeak through in place of some of the, the jokes here. So, okay. Um, maybe a weekend update that if we'd had our way would be a little tighter, but for what it's worth, I, I still consider it a win. I just think there was enough good laugh sprinkled throughout Joseph and Chase stuff that, uh, I was okay with what I was seeing. What do we make of our first feature? We get Heidi Gardner back as teen movie critic, Bailey Gizmert. Hey, a sketch. I love Bailey Gizmert. <laughs> I love most of Heidi's update uh, correspondence. Yeah. But I love Bailey Gizmert because she perfectly nails this 14 year old <laughs> shallowness, narcissism, overwhelmed aff- affectation. Yeah. I love that we heightened from the last time when she was crushing on Che. <laughs> to crushing on Pikachu, right? That was a I, Pikachu can get it. Is I'm never gonna, I'm never gonna forget that. That was I love that Pikachu is not random and is actually just hot. And uh, <laughs> I, lo- I also love how she's overwhelmed by school and projects. Yeah, and then she dismisses Che's responsibilities to the show. Yeah, uh, everything about it is just like perfect game heightening from the last one. Mm-hmm. Uh, and they all crush. Each thing about it crushes. And I think this is one of my favorite things that she does. Yeah. No, you're absolutely right. I was charmed by this. This felt like she's even dialed in on the character, maybe a little better than the previous outings. I felt like this one was just rock solid. And even more than uh, the Goop spokesperson. too. Yeah. Yeah. Um, Some of our other weekend update bits, maybe they don't have the recurring potential that this one has, but this one is holding up really good. And I felt like this might have been the most focused outing that I've personally felt I've seen from Bailey Gizmert. Um, so very happy with this. I just wanted to say anecdotally, I was rewatching this last night with my dad who doesn't watch a whole lot of SNL, but he is going to brave the standby line next week to get wow. that off his bucket list. Wow. Um, we were watching it and he's pretty stone faced. Like he, he's not someone that's just like emoting over every silly little joke. You really need to hit hard to get a laugh out of him. Uh-huh. And when this came on about 30 seconds into it, he just stopped and went, Wow. She is really good at that. Yeah. So even someone who's just very casual about SNL doesn't know Heidi from a hole in the wall. He tunes in and immediately he's like, that's the girl that's got it right there. She's she's the one doing the work. Um, so more respect to Heidi Gardner. And yes, at a certain point I am just pandering because you know what, Heidi, you are good in my books, but for what it's worth, my dad, who is way more objective than I am at this point, thinks that you did a good job. So, uh, yeah, more high marks for Heidi. Yeah. Let's keep moving though. We get Pete Davidson to talk about the pitfalls of living with his mom. Yes. Um, uh, uh, <laughs> I don't I'm like, okay, but what was the point? Like, what was the take? Just like basically an update on Pete's life. This is presumes that I care about Pete's personal life. Sure. You know what I mean? Yeah. This is the whole piece is about Pete and his person. That's the running gag here is that it's just a piece of Pete's diary. Yes. Not that he has a take on anything or uh, anything that he needs to say or get off his chest, or it's even a character. It's just about Pete and his personal life. And yeah. I'm, a little, yeah. I'm a little bored by the whole thing. I think what this is, is they're like, this is the Mother's Day episode. Do we have anything tangentially Mother's Day related that we can squeeze into Weekend Update? And Pete thought maybe he could throw this together because previously he's featured his mom and uh, been able to land a, a joke here or there by bringing her into his Weekend Update features. So I think they were just trying to recapture some past glory. 
but unfortunately this was kind of clunky even more so in dress um this was thrown together very last minute you could tell that she hadn't had an opportunity to even rehearse when they performed it in dress uh so they even apologized like (laughs) pete's like this will be way better (laughs) on the live show um so they they muddled through it they got a few laughs but overall this felt uh unnecessary to me i guess that's how i'll leave it I would hate to have to cut Pete's mom, uh, but sure. <laughs> uh, I don't know if we needed this or the extra four or five jokes that we need to justify another segment. Yeah. Yeah. I would have rather had another Emma Thompson sketch. Yep. Yeah. So this felt unnecessary. Bailey Gizmert, I'm glad made it through. I was okay with Joseph and Chase stuff, but I agree with you. If I had to make the call, I would rather tighten that up and fit in one more Emma Thompson sketch. Cause like I mentioned, there was a lot of good stuff that didn't make it through that. I think there was definitely some more value we could have got from a, another live sketch. So, um, yeah, uh, maybe a bit of a mixed bag here with weekend update, but I think overall it was all passable, even if, uh, the Pete Davidson stuff didn't wow. Yeah. Okay. Let's take a look at the back half of the show. We get a live sketch beauty and the beast. What did you make of this reimagining <laughs> of beauty and the beast? Uh, I'm going to say worst sketch of the year. <laughs> okay. <laughs> all right. I think this is a sloppy mess. Okay. Cause it had such a good promising setup. I was way into it, especially the, the growler. Yes. Uh, shout out at the top. It's like, all right, what is going to happen here? The, that never got picked up again. And that made no mention of it, anything else. Right. And I didn't understand. I mean, yes. Okay. Let's see some anthropomorphic things around the castle, but the gym weights, I'm not sure what the joke was there. Like, yeah. The joke is that he likes to work out. Is that embarrassing? Well, I think it was just a, a vehicle for them to be able to air his dirty laundry. You know, the parts of the castle that nobody knows about. That's where he's got the Britney Spears posters up and stuff like that. Like, I think it was just more about piling on the coals onto the beast. I don't know if those were big enough coals. No, no, like no. The, the candy shop, that didn't make any sense. And then, uh, then a right turn into Pete as a cup with the beast <laughs> hair. And then the Momo challenge. And like, there's no continuity of the scene whatsoever. Like, which scene is it? Is it anthropomorphic others? Or is it as bad as fair with a teapot? Just pick one. Yeah. Just pick one. And if it's a hookup site for gay bears that's sponsoring the show, then justify that in some in some way. Yeah. This is a mess. Not good. <laughs> okay. Um, well, you, you're absolutely right. You make some good points. It certainly lost its focus. And I think it was going in too many directions. The thing that is most disappointing about this is all of the wasted potential of it. Yes. It had great production values. Yes. It, it did have at its core, a few really winning ideas that any one of them could have been turned into a really effective sketch. Yes. But like you said, it doesn't feel like they knew where they wanted to go with any of them. So you get a hodgepodge that never really ends up ascending to any great heights um, and can be a little bit confusing and challenging to track because they, they keep switching gears so many times throughout the sketch. So, uh, yeah, a lot of stuff that kept knocking this down and, and kind of killing any potential momentum that it could have. Um, but I'll give a shout out to the costuming. <laughs> that was really on point, if nothing else. Yeah. Uh, but now we're like, we're kind of like lulling for the show, right? Because Weekend Update went a little too long. Right. Pete's thing didn't really land. Then we got a stinker of a sketch. And it doesn't really set up some really good ideas that are coming up that don't really get the proper support they could have used. Yeah. Yeah. You're always trying to reestablish the energy coming out of update. Right. And I don't think this was the best way to do it. I think they thought just because it was so colorful and big production wise that maybe it was going to be more rousing. Um, but yeah, a little bit clunky and complicated and, and not very focused. So not a win for me. 
And I'm sure all those costume setups have to be done during weekend update just to kind of like right. get everybody in a place and it's just a big, big clunky mess. Yeah, they don't have a lot of choices where they can slot this in because you're right. It can't be the lead out from another sketch where the players are in different costumes. There's just no production way to manage that. So it is what it is. I mean, they, they made the call. They were hoping for the best. I just don't think it really kicked off the back half right. And so I'll count it as a loss. Yeah. But let's keep moving. Okay. After that, we get another live sketch. A wayward youth is confronted on talk show Tracy. What do you make of this? I like this scene. Uh, this reminds me of that breakout Heidi sketch. Yeah. The straws. Yeah. The straws. And like, you're not my real dad. Yeah. You're not my dad. And so it felt very much like that. But this is a really fun twist on that and really showcase what ego is capable of. Mm-hmm. Yeah. I love the just, you don't know me turn on the set was fantastic. I like this too. I think that the idea of someone who is so quick to throw out, you don't know me kind of as their defensive mechanism to immediately encounter a train of people that just get her at such a fundamental level that she can't deny, you know, the insights to what they're saying. That is not what you get on a real talk show where it's very inane and superficial. And uh, yeah, you're not going to get any uh, genuine Oprah moments from your audience members. So to have that, I, I think was a lot of fun. Uh, I feel like Ego did a great job presenting her character. And uh, I, I feel like the train of people that were weighing in on her situation all had something funny about what they were bringing. Yeah. This was working for me. Me too. Yeah. For this late in the show, I feel like this was a, a pretty good call to keep this one in. Um, what did we make of our 10 to one sketch? We get, wait a second, that shouldn't be there. And it's basically a look at some of the most egregious continuity errors in cinema. Yeah, I didn't like it Mm -hmm. uh, for a couple different reasons. Uh, One is Kyle. Uh, I don't think he has the gravitas to host something like that. And Mm -hmm. I felt like if SNL wasn't so product placement heavy, (laughs) this would have been uh, a very biting sketch. But now it just feels like, oh, this is something that, SNL has to do anyway. Sure. So, I mean, they're really uh, making fun of themselves here, honestly, because product placements aren't continuity errors, which is what it was set up to be. Right. They were just product placement at, and which is not even what the Starbucks thing was. Right. It was anachronistic. But uh, if SNL wasn't so egregious and blatant about theirs, <laughs> uh, the sketch might have uh, been able to be pretty funny on any other show. Okay. All right. So you don't you don't think that SNL has the credibility <laughs> nope. to pull off this kind of material? They sold that train a couple of years ago and uh, that's, they don't have a leg to stand on here. Okay. Fair enough. Um, yeah, I wasn't really thinking of it in those terms because a lot of times when we think it's a product placement, they honestly don't have time to put together a deal. They just literally are just grabbing at whatever they think is a recognizable product or whatever for sketch. And that's not to say that's across the board. They do have product placement. Yes, they do. But it's not always that cut and dry. So I'm not going to presume that all of this was product placement. But you're not wrong when it's been very heavy handed or there have been sketches that feel like there's no other purpose for them to exist other than for the company or product that they're featuring. It does undercut. And we can update jokes. Too. Sure. Plenty of we can update jokes are just basically mentioning a product that have nothing to do with an actual joke. Yeah. It's a little disappointing. So I this is not uh, their uh, strong satire hand. Yep. Once bitten, twice shy. Yeah. You see too many yeah. products and then you get something like this and you can't help but be a little turned off. The reason why I wasn't super hot on this is because there was other material that I wish had made it in, but that is a critique that can only be leveled by someone that saw the other material. So it's not really fair for me to grade the show on that. Sure it is. (laughs) Well, (laughs) if I was putting on my producer's hat, this wouldn't have made it through either beauty and the beast. And this, I feel like there was other material that, um, 
maybe they thought it was a little more challenging, but I feel like it was just they had stronger premises and some of the stuff that got cut. So this was the other uh, loss for the night for me where I would have rather seen something else swapped in. But hey, they're the ones that have to make the call. They know the runtime. They know what they have to work with. Uh, So I don't want to be too presumptuous because there's always a thousand mitigating factors. But for what it is, uh, the show went out on a bit more of a whimper than I would have liked. I agree. Okay. So that's our rundown. Let's talk moment of the night. Moment of the night, ah, boy, it's either Pikachu can get it or <laughs> it's uh, Leslie's face when Emma <laughs> slaps the cup out of her hand for the sure. very first time. Yep. I think it's I think it's Leslie's face when Emma slaps the cup out of her hand for the first time. That was uh, that threw me back, and I got excited. I think <laughs> in that moment of like, oh, someone just took a swing at Leslie, uh, which never happens. And I think that was kind of very fun exciting moment and electrically charged yes it was a very abrupt turn for the sketch and like you mentioned uh it's cooler that leslie was cowed by it because leslie's usually like nobody's putting baby in the corner um so this was a a fun little twist on that which made it a little more unexpected a little bit more satisfying um yeah it, it was it was a fun moment no doubt uh definitely had me perked up and the audience loved it for what it's worth that really was a, a big laugh in the house when that first one happened or a shock moment i should say maybe more than a laugh but it was effective yeah for me i'm going with the perfect mother pre-tape there's a moment in there at the end where <laughs> the the kid has blown out their diaper and the parents are just um uh, they're just at their their wits end with the whole thing and they've got nothing more to give and they're just breaking down and um I, there was so much truth in that moment as a father with an eight-month-old currently um just the fact that they used the term blown out because i thought that was something that i invented for our own uh you know child catastrophes in our house but apparently that is the appropriate term when uh uh yeah the diaper just can't contain <laughs> the, the the joy that a child can offer you um just the truth of it it made me happy to see all that on display. And that was a particularly effective moment because that's just what I'm knee deep in right now in my family. So sure. that one just, you know, hit close to home for me. Um, so I'm going to give it to that. There was a lot of moments in that pre-tape, but I'll single out that one just because I thought, yep, yep. That couldn't be more true. Best sketch. Best sketch for me. It's between perfect mom and chopped. Mm-hmm. And I think, I think I like chopped zaniness and silliness. I think in a best of the season, I'd put perfect mom, mm-hmm. but chopped just sung to me a little bit uh more just because i think i like i love cooking shows yeah and uh i love naked gun uh (laughs) style humor yeah uh and just to see the two of those things really well executed better than any other cooking show parody Mm -hmm. uh that i've seen on Night live this one definitely sung the most to me so a plus yep if that absurdity speaks to you then this was definitely a winner i enjoyed it too and those were what it was coming down to for me too those two seemed to be like the highlights of the night uh i am going to go with the perfect mother just because it just resonates with me in particular with where I'm at in my life. And so for people in my shoes, I'm sure that this was really speaking to them. And, and I think it was a very satisfying uh, little romp there. Um, but uh, honorable mention definitely goes to Bailey Gizmert and the monologue for sure. Yeah. Yeah. That's it. It's nice when a show has enough really soaring material that it's a bit of a challenge to tack down one best sketch. It does say something about how hard they were trying this week. Um, but yeah, a lot of, a lot of good material. Uh, I'm just going to land on that one just purely because of the, the naked truth on display that I, I felt was really effective for me personally. MVP. I think Emma Thompson by far. Yeah. Uh, I think Heidi made a strong run this week, mm-hmm. but Emma just showed up consistently every sketch, even the direct, she was spot on perfect timing, never missed a cue really just sold everything as hard as she could and 
uh, really sh- brought her a game. Mm-hmm. I think in the uh, areas that even sometimes the sketches didn't. Yeah. Uh, she brought her a game and I really enjoyed her. And I cannot believe this is her first time hosting. She should be a regular host. She's really good. I can't imagine what she'd be like with just amazing material throughout the whole show. Yeah. Uh, she definitely proved herself. I, I couldn't see any reason why she wouldn't be on the short list of go-to people when you, you just want to ring her someone that you can be confident in throwing any material at that, you know, they're just going to rise to the occasion. Definitely a capable host. I was super impressed with her too. And I think that's the right call, but because you already gave her her props, I'm going to go with Heidi because she was my runner up. And again, not just because uh, the Gardner family can do no wrong and I'm going to sing their praises no matter what, but this was a very Heidi heavy show. She was pretty much ever present in a lot of the cut material. She was present and doing good work too. Um, But even what made it to air, she had one of the big highlights for the night in her Bailey Gizmert part and in so much more. She was just doing really good work. Even in that uh, mother's pre-tape, that was some really solid acting and just genuine distress that she could show on her face that I felt was really appropriate for that piece. So she was doing good work. Um, I I don't think it's hard to make the case for Heidi, but you're right that Emma Thompson really, really wowed as well. Agreed. Perfect. Big question. On a scale of classic, great, decent, weak, or train wreck, how would you rate this episode? Oh boy. I think that Emma Thompson has a classic episode in her mm-hmm. uh, in a future date to be named later. Okay. I'm going to go decent with yes. this one. Okay. I really am hoping that she comes back next year or the year after and just like completely nails every sketch and that the writers rise to the occasion. Sure. I think that's perfectly fair. This was a show with some really great moments, but it was up and down. You're right to point out that Weekend Update lacked a little bit of energy and kind of went out on a whimper with the Pete Davidson stuff, which to me is usually one of the tent poles that has to be in place for a truly great show because that helps to maintain the energy in the back half. So we didn't quite have uh, a consistent show from about Weekend Update on. And uh, so for that, I think you got to you know, keep things in perspective. It had great moments. It was a fun show. I thoroughly enjoyed it. I can't be objective because obviously, you know, there's a different energy in the house and you see a different version of the show in the house. So, um, even without any objectivity, I think I can still agree with you and land on decent for this great moments, but also some clunky stuff in there too. And it just all kind of sifts out into the middle a fun outing, but certainly not the most even outing. Right. Good enough. Um, before we call it, why don't you just direct people to what you got cooking again and uh, then we'll call it a night. Fantastic. Please check out Austin Sketchfest at atxsketchfest.com. Check out Cold Town Theater at coldtowntheater.com. That's Cold Town with an E at the end. Uh, Outofboundscomedy.com for the Out of Bounds Comedy Festival at the end of the summer over Labor Day weekend. And please check out our sketch comedy podcast, Victrola at victrolapodcast.com. Beautiful. Well, Dave, it's always a pleasure to have you on. I always appreciate your insights. I'm glad we could run through this together. Thank you so much. I appreciate it. And I love doing this. Yeah. And uh, I'm sure we will do it again as soon as we can find another uh, episode that might get you jazz. Maybe we'll do something over the summer, getting closer to your events and talk a little bit more of some vintage SNL. I'm thinking Carrie Fisher, Blues Brothers. Yeah. Yeah. I would definitely do that. That's the one with the, like the beach blanket bonanza opening, right? Yes, 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 yes. yes. There's so many good sketches in that. That's my favorite. Okay. There, let's lock it down. We'll do that in the summer sometime. Fantastic. All right. That's a cast. Thanks to my guest, Dave Buckman. You can connect with Dave on Twitter at Dave Buckman. And thanks as well to our most generous patrons, 
Sam Bowers, Aaron and Trader, Neil Weinstein, and Justin Gardner. If you're enjoying our show, please subscribe on Apple Podcasts, Spotify, or whichever app you prefer to listen on. Your subscription helps us grow and your support is greatly appreciated. We'll be back in one week for SNL's season finale with host Paul Rudd and musical guest DJ Khalid. But until then, this has been episode number 78 of the Saturday Night Live After Party podcast. I'm John Murray. Good night and have a pleasant tomorrow. <laughs>